listening to Best Served Cold, a Born Millennials podcast. The Australian true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama J and Laura Lees. Sit down, relax, grab a drink and enjoy this week's episode. G'day, g'day. G'day, g'day, g'day. Kia Hello. I don't know if we've ever started an episode saying g'day before. No, I mean, we're not really those kinds of Australians, are we? No, not, although people have people. apparently said I have a Bogan accent in this show. So. Yeah, well, those people can F off. Wow. So. Rude. Welcome back to the Best Served Cold podcast. We, um, yeah, we're mentally... Unwell. When, when, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it's a difficult time, isn't it? Yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah, we're doing all right. It's just kind of, it, it, it's a bit sucky. We're, we're hanging in there. For those who are not in Australia right now, Sydney is, and I believe all of New South Wales is in lockdown mm-hmm. and has been for several weeks now, several. Um, and it's rough. It's not. It's it's much rougher the second time around. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're going to try and keep things positive here. So welcome to Best Served Cold true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime, although we haven't drunk wine on this show for a very long time. Yeah, it's been, it's been a minute. It's been a hot minute. So we were formerly the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime. I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Elise, and I'm pretty much down to my last two brain cells. Great. And I am Tamatoa. Push me and then just touch me until I can get my serotonin. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Um, I'm getting to a really sad point in my age journey where I now can't read without my glasses at like at all full stop. Oh, I mean, glasses people look more distinguished and intelligent. No, but it's kind of annoying. Like I used to be able to do things on my computer and as long as it wasn't too many hours, then I could get away with it. But now I'm like trying to look at my notes on my screen. I'm like, no, I need my glasses. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sure that just comes with age. Wow. You know. Rude. Also, my brightness was turned up so high. I don't know That why. could also be that was a factor it. in why. I just turned my brightness up. I yeah. was like, why is my laptop brighter than the sun? Your eyes, your eyes are like, can you fucking not? Yeah. I always People always give me shit about how dark I have my laptop screen, yeah. though. I hate having a bright laptop screen. Anyway, um, just to preface the show for people listening, if you are a newcomer, we do swear. So if that is not your thing, then see you later, chicken wing. Nice. Um, and please however, don't give us a bad review. Don't give us a bad review. You have been formally warned. Yeah, you have you have received a warning. So fuck off. And if you're a person who skips ahead of the intros and you uh, startled by a swear, I mean, that's on you. Really? You should listen to the intro because we're amazing. Yeah. So, I believe uh, the only housekeeping we have is just to follow us on social media. We yeah. are the BSC podcast on all things social media. Yep. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, TikTok, everything, everything. So yep. follow us. You have no excuse. And I have a hair in my mouth. Well, it's a good thing your story isn't first. So. I will just kick off straight into my story because I'm pretty excited to talk about it. So, again, we have, um, I guess, not so much more of a murder mystery. Yeah, we've taken your feedback that you've enjoyed the the non-murdery ones. So, we're trying to sprinkle some other stuff in. Yeah, it it sort of has become a bit of like a paranormal mixed with like mysteries, mixed with different crimes, not just you know, notorious murderers or weird murders. It's you like, know I love me a good unsolved mystery. Yeah, it's for sure like one of those things that envelops into this whole genre. Yeah. I think we're sort of breaking boundaries a little bit. Oh, are we? I think so. We're a revolutionary yeah, podcast. I guess so. Or, or either that or we're pissing off a lot of true crime podcasters by doing some pretty maverick moves, but you know, <laughs> maverick like, moves. fuck it, whatever. Anyway, so my story is about a weird, mysterious, paranormal thing that happened that no one has any explanation as to why it happened or 
any re- any answers as to resolving what has happened. But the entire thing is mysterious as hell and freaks okay. hundreds of thousands of people out. Is there a Ouija board involved? There is not a Ouija board okay, involved. Okay, great. So what if I told you, Laura, and people listening at home, mm-hmm. that there is a three-foot doll <gasps> sitting in a museum in Are Key- you telling the story of Annabelle? No. Oh. But that is an interesting story that I might get into mm. maybe one day. Um, this is a, is a similar story to Annabelle in a sense. Okay. Um, there is a doll, a three-foot doll, sitting in a museum in Key West, Florida, and it is believed to be a haunted doll, seemingly able to communicate and can move all on its own. Yeah, fuck that. You know original, my you know my beliefs on these sorts I of do. things. So yeah. I do. So with the original owner now long deceased, a doll that goes by the name of Robert the Doll sits in a museum in Key West, Florida. He wears a sailor suit and has a time-worn face with two black beaded eyes. Creepy. Yep. On his lap sits a disturbing uh, toy lion. I believe it's a lion, but there have been people who've said it's a dog. I believe it looks like a lion, so I'm going to call it a lion. It sits on his lap with big bulging eyes and a long tongue that hands out out of its mouth. Now, a dark legend precedes this 116-year-old straw doll supposedly being haunted by a spirit to this day. Its original owner was a man called Robert Eugene Otto. During his youth, he would often blame things on the doll and even today, allegedly, misfortune happens to people who insult him or do him wrong. Um, Allegedly, people break bones, they crash their cars and people go out of their ways to apologize to this doll believing that it's made a, a it's put a hex on them. I'm really glad you said that cuz I was just about to shit talk the doll so I'm just You gonna... should not. Um, because people who have have had terrible things happen to them. Is that only to its face though or like So people who approach it in the museum if they don't respect the doll, they've noted that things have happened. Yeah, no fuck that. I'm just going to keep um, my mouth shut for this. So time. the people who own the museum and I'll get into this much much more later politely request that if you are looking at the display and taking photos, you ask the doll for a photo first. So... I'm just not going to speak for the rest of this. So let let, let that sort of paint the picture. So the origins of where this doll came from um, are unclear. However, there is a very solid theory, which I'll get into much later. Um, The... The origins of the doll becoming into Robert Eugene Otto's life seems to have come from his grandfather in 1904, when I believe Robert Eugene Otto was four years old. Um, Eugene goes by Gene or Otto. I'm going to refer to him as Gene and Otto, so that's who I'm referring to when I speak to. Um, locals in the area uh, around this, the family home believe that the toy was given to Otto by one of the family's young maids, who hexed it in retaliation to some wrongdoing that these parents did to them. Um, They believe that maybe one of their maids was a Haitian witch who hexed this doll that she created, um, which is a very out there theory, which I'll disprove later. But as mentioned before, Robert can be found in the Fort East Motello Museum. Officials in the museum figure that the doll was actually never intended to be a doll in the first place. Whatever his origins were, though, Robert was taken in by the Otto family and became Gene Otto's best friend. Gene Otto loved the doll so much that he named it after himself, Robert, clothed it with his own clothing, and carried it with him wherever he went. The sailor's outfit that it wears to this day is an old sailor's outfit that Otto used to wear himself, Um, and you can see it in photos. It's a really nice outfit if you're listening, Yeah, Robert. It's a very great outfit. His parents would often hear Otto whispering to his doll from time to time, and they thought nothing much of it. It was just a boy in love with his doll, until one day, they heard a deep voice whispering back. According to the curator curator of Fort East Martello Museum, Otto had a strong connection to the doll, and when talking about the doll, he behaved as if it wasn't a doll at all. In fact, it was a living thing called Robert. Strange things soon happened from time to time throughout the Otto household. 
One of the many tales were that Otto's parents would wake up in the middle of the night to find him screaming surrounded by overturned furniture. Okay. Can we legitimately take a brief pause? Because I need another drink to listen to this story because it's stressing me out already. (laughs) Okay. I'm not even joking. Fine. I wasn't kidding. I actually went to get another drink. Dolls, for someone who also runs a horror movie podcast, dolls are like the one thing I don't fuck with. They freak me out. Yeah. So. There you go. So as Otto got older, things sort of got a bit more more odd and more malicious. His parents would find mutilated toys around the home. And when they asked Otto about it, he would cry saying, Robert did it. One time, the family hired a plumber to make various repairs around the house. While working on the repairs, the plumber claimed to have heard a child laughing. Now, this was odd because no one was home at the time. The plumber investigated, looking for where he heard the noise. He noticed that Robert the doll was now in a different place to where he had previously been. He had been moved from one side of the window to the other. Even more strange was that objects that were previously sitting on Robert's lap were now at the other end of the room, almost as if he had thrown them. I fucking hate this. Eventually, when Otto was older, he moved out and would study at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago and the Arts Students League in New York. He didn't take uh, Robert with him. He stayed behind in the family home. And eventually, he ventured out to Paris-Saborn University, where he met his wife, Anne. Eventually, he returned back to his childhood home after, I believe, his parents passed away and the house fell to him. So, he moved in with his wife um, back at his childhood home at Eden Street in Key West, Florida. He titled the home The Artist House as he was himself a painter. And to this day, it is still around and it's currently operating as a haunted bed and breakfast. Um, it's a it's a key like hotspot for people who want to go visit haunted areas in the Florida area. So Otto had a whole room designed for Robert in the attic. It was uh, contained its own furniture, toys. Robert even had his own little teddy bear. It was a room where he would go to paint, where he could be with Robert at all times of the day. Otto's wife, obviously being a normal person, wasn't too fond of the doll and asked. Otto to lock it away. He obliged, and this supposedly upset Robert. He allegedly escaped being locked up and situated himself on a chair. He, looking out of the upstairs window where he could be seen by passerbys down below. People who passed 334 Eden Street soon avoided walking near the house altogether. Locals in the area swore that the doll would disappear and then reappear facing another direction, or that its gaze would follow them as they passed. Visitors inside the artist's house also claimed that they could hear footsteps coming from the attic and that things would seem to move about the home on their own accord, with seemingly no explanation. So Robert Eugene Otto died in 1974, a woman named Myrtle Ruter purchased the artist's house with Robert the doll along with it. Ruta lived with Robert for about 20 years and she even took him with her when she moved to a new home in the 1980s. Eventually, in 1994, she donated the creepy toy to Fort East Martello Museum in, 19, uh, in that same year, claiming that the doll was indeed haunted. The museum accepted the doll and its baggage, uh, assuming that her claims were, of course... Nothing but bullshit. Almost immediately, though, museum employees started noticing weird behavior around the doll that they could not explain. Regardless of any concrete story about Robert the doll, he still had numerous visitors lining up to see him on display. To go even further, Robert had fans and believers sending in letters directed to Robert himself. Sometimes people would pray to him and sometimes they would apologize for having looked at him the wrong way while visiting the museum. According to the museum's curator, Robert receives about one to three letters every single day. Some visitors even write to Robert asking for advice or if he could place a curse on people who have wronged them. Since his arrival, Robert has received nearly 1,000 letters. 
Visitors also have been known to leave candy, money, and sometimes even joints. Well, you know, we don't judge. Yeah. Uh, fun little trivia. In 2015, a Robert the Doll movie was simply was released titled Robert. And the film follows the origin story of Robert the Doll beginning with its arrival in the Otto family. And I believe there are two other films that took inspiration from Robert the Doll as well. I'm pretty sure there might be one that's called Robert the Doll. Potentially. Yes, um, I believe so. Um, and contrary to popular opinion, um, it is this did not inspire the Chucky um, storyline from Child's Play. Um, there were many different inspirations for Chucky, but this was not one. Even after hundreds, uh, over a hundred plus years to this day, visitors claim that cameras still mal- malfunction in his presence, and electronic electronic devices go haywire. Um, now, as you can see, Laura, our visitors at home cannot see. This Don't is comment. This is what the doll looks like. It's beautiful. So, this is, is a beautiful doll, Tama. This is the fun little um, where the doll comes from. Mm-hmm. So you can clearly see, and I encourage you, listeners at home, to look up the doll because it doesn't really look like a regular doll, even though it's old and it has over time, been much weathered, uh, it doesn't really look human. Its eyes are like... Well, they're not... Teddy bear eyes. Ah. Right? So you think it's like a naked teddy bear? So... Maybe. Um, people, I, I think, believe I believe people at the museum, uh, the curators and different people at the museum, tracked his physical origins to the Steiff Company in Germany. Steiff is a toy company established during the late 19th, 19th century. Um, the company was started by a seamstress, Margaret Steiff, who made elephant-shaped pincushions. Uh, she noticed, noticed that children enjoyed playing with the pincushions and decided to start making animal-themed toys. Eventually, she, that developed into the Steiff company and became a very reputable and innovative toy manufacturer. Now, they were credited with creating the most popular children's toy of all time, the plush bear in 1902, which would later become the teddy bear, which was named after former US President Theodore Roosevelt. The trademark design that was designated by an authentic Stive toy was a metal button inserted in a doll's ear with an elephant engraving in it or the company name. The evaluation team in Sloan had noted that Robert's right ear was originally missing. Interesting. So it's thought that um, this doll is is similar to another Steiff toy that was up for auction. The theory is that Robert was originally made to be a window display because of his lifelike, human-like proportions. Okay. It was a display for the Steiff company to, um, I guess advertised towards the plush teddy bears. Right. This was the company that coined the teddy bear that we all know today. I love that. So that's where the beady eyes Because it was could meant to from. be a teddy bear. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. Well, also, that would explain why he doesn't like it when people say things about him because he's just thinking that he is a cute... Teddy bear. So people who... And some kid dressed him in a sailor costume. So people who, like, I guess mistreat him have turned up sick. They've gotten into car crashes. They've had broken bones. Uh, Weird things have just happened to them with zero explanation at all. Do you realize that you're going to have to... I won't be able to have a shower on my own tonight. That's fine. Or sleep. Not that I ever really can sleep. No. no, it's just an excuse for my insomnia. Yeah. Um. Yes, I don't like scary doll stories. I don't. My grandma. Yes. When I was younger, had one of those really expensive porcelain, like the dolls with the porcelain uh, faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whenever I would stay. I would, she had this room because my grandma is obsessed with teddy bears. So their spare room was literally filled 
with teddy bears. Like the the spare bed had teddy bears on it. The dresser had teddy bears. She'd make her own. My grandma was obsessed with teddy bears. Mm -hmm. She had this really creepy porcelain doll that I would make her put away whenever I had to go and stay. But then I'd spend the entire night not able to sleep because I was paranoid that this doll was going to crawl out of the cupboard and kill me. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't do dolls. There is something odd and sort of creepy as hell about inanimate objects that should not move, doing things that you can't explain. Like, these people couldn't explain why things just seem to flung themselves across rooms. There is actually a phenomenon, and I can't remember the name of it. I was reading about it a week or two back. It was talking about artificial intelligence and how humans naturally dislike artificial intelligence because there's something in your brain that can sense it looks human, but it's not. Like it has human qualities and does human things, but you can sense it's not human. Like I guess we at a at a subconscious instinctual level can recognize on some deep level another human being. So there's something very off-putting to humans when you can see something that sort of looks and acts and has human qualities but isn't. So I think that's why um, dolls freak people out a lot. There used to be this this bot on the internet. I can't remember what it was called or when it was a big thing, but you would type in questions or things and it would initiate a conversation with you. So if you said something like, what is your favorite ice cream? I would say, I don't like ice cream. I'm a computer. Mm, No, I remember that. I can't remember what it was called either, but I remember that. That, exactly what you're saying, where you're like, this is something that a human being would possibly say back to me, Mm. but it's coming from artificial intelligence. So this is, in my head, fucking terrifying. Yeah, if you have a spare few minutes in your day, uh, Google, again, I don't know the exact name of the video, but it's a video where it's two artificial intelligence bots that look incredibly human having a conversation with each other. And it is terrifying because, again, it's something – it's almost natural but, like, not quite. And so it's just this really – disconcerting thing to watch these two AIs have a conversation with each other. It's very yeah. creepy. In your mind, it shouldn't be a thing. It's yeah. odd. Well, anyway, that was the story and the phenomenon on Robert the Doll. I let can't me know, say I enjoyed that. Let um, me know what you guys thought of that um, in terms of content because I find that stuff fa- fascinating. Mm. Um. I mean, I I say I didn't enjoy that. I thoroughly enjoyed that, but I hated it at the the same time. No, it is terrifying. Like, I really disliked that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We will take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be jumping into our second story for the episode. Okay. Goodbye. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, I was just saying that I'm. I hope that my story isn't going to be boring now because I'm just doing regular old-fashioned murder. Yeah, which is weird so, to say that a, a murder would be uh, not as interesting of a story. But I found this one really interesting because it is the large inspiration behind. A very good book and one of my favourite films, directed by the amazing David Fincher, Gone Girl. Oh, nice. Which I didn't know that Gone Girl was largely inspired by a true story. I just assumed it was a work of fiction. But when you actually read, or rather listen to me tell you about this story, Mm -hmm. you will realise that a large portion of Gillian Flynn's plot is taken from this. And I'm like... I don't know if wow. you you almost need to give like ghostwriting credits to this poor woman that died because you just stole her story, basically. <laughs> is, is it not cre- accredited or anything that uh, as being inspired? No, by she that? has come out. Gillian Flynn, the author, has said that right. 
she was largely inspired, but I just found some of the events, particularly around the other person involved, are gotcha. very, very on the nose. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about Lacey and Scott Peterson and the murder of Lacey Peterson. So I just want to go into a little backstory about Lacey. So Lacey was born May 4th, 1975. She had a pretty normal childhood. Her family owned a dairy farm and she worked there with her siblings like after school on weekends until her parents divorced and then her mother moved uh, her and her siblings to Modesto, although they would still kind of frequently visit the farm. So no kind of traumatic childhood, very mm-hmm. normal childhood. Lacey was very popular in school. She was a cheerleader. She was a good student. And midway through 1994, she met a man called Scott Peterson. So Lacey and Scott met at a cafe where Scott worked part-time and one of Lacey's friends also worked. So she would frequently kind of go to hang out with a friend and Scott was just kind of there. So Lacey was, she was bright. She was a very forward young woman. And she actually made the first move by giving Scott her number almost immediately after they'd met. So they dated for around two years before moving in together and it's said that it was around this time that Scott, who had for a very long time dreamt of being a professional golf player, sort of abandoned this to kind of be like, all right, I'm going to be a family man and I'm going to get a, quote, real job to support a family. So after Lacey graduated college in 1997, they married and after this they opened a sports bar together called The Shack which, again, if you've seen Gone Girl, we're picking up oh, yeah. Big a lot vibes. of similarities. Yeah. So the business grew slowly, and in 2000, they ended up selling the bar and moving back to Lacey's hometown of Modesto with the intention of starting a family. So Scott got himself a really good job, which earned him around $5,000 a month, and in 2002, the couple were pregnant with their first child. So it's all kind of America's sweetheart. You've got two objectively attractive people. Mm-hmm. They've got a nice house. He's got a good job. They're pregnant. It's it's all good. While Lacey was still pregnant, however, Scott met a woman called Amber Frey and they began to have an affair, although Amber was under the impression that Peterson was single. And from what I can see, there's not a lot of details on prior affairs, but Amber was not his first. Okay. On December 23rd, 2002, Lacey and Scott together went to where Scott had his hair cut by a woman called Amy Rocha. Amy remembers Scott offering to pick up a fruit basket for Amy, which she'd bought for a family member for Christmas, which December 23rd, Christmas is in two days. So Scott sort of says, oh, I'm going to be playing golf nearby where you need to get the fruit basket. I can pick it up for you. And he also tells this story to a lot of other different people that will listen, kind of stressing that December 24th, he'll be out of the house, he'll be playing golf, he'll be away from the house. Mm-hmm. By this stage, Lacey is eight months pregnant. So Scott Pearson leaves his home on December 24th at around 9.30am, leaving his wife watching a cooking show and getting the house ready for Big Dave for Christmas. An hour after this, one of the women in the neighborhood states that she finds the golden retriever called Mackenzie that was owned by the Petersons outside the home alone with her leash still hanging off her collar. She kind of doesn't really think much of it. She thinks, oh, maybe the dog's got out or they were halfway through getting the dog ready to go for a walk and then something happened. So she just kind of lets Mackenzie back into the yard through the side gate or whatever and thinks nothing of it. Several other neighbours had also said that they'd seen the dog outside the yard, but again, didn't really think twice. Scott returns home in the afternoon to find the house empty. Lacey's car is still in the driveway. Scott showers and washes his clothes, claiming when asked why he did that, that they were muddy and wet from fishing, because he says he changed his mind and ended up going fishing, not to play Uh, golf. At around 5pm, Scott calls Lacey's mother thinking or telling police that the reason he called Lacey's mother, not the police, was thinking, oh, maybe she's just gone to see her mum. And then it's at this stage that Lacey's stepfather calls 911 and files a missing person report. Police arrive at the home and find Lacey's keys, wallet and sunglasses still inside the dining table, uh, sorry, still inside the house with the dining table having been set meticulously for a big family Christmas dinner. Police also find the phone book open on the kitchen counter set out with pages for defence lawyers. I mean, come on, we can, yeah. we can all kind of 
see where this is going. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Look, it's not it's not a twist ending. What you're thinking is what happens, but I just think the story is interesting because of the parallels. Yeah, with you can see, you can see a lot of the parallels. So Peterson tells police when he's questioned that he'd left for the day to go golfing and then later in the afternoon went fishing. A message left for Lacey on the phone says, hey, beautiful, it's 2.15pm, I'm leaving Berkeley. He also tells police that when he left the home, he'd gone to his warehouse where he worked to sort of send off some emails and pick up his boat. And all of this is supported by the timestamped emails. Peterson claims that he went fishing around 150 kilometres or 90 miles from their home, which is a really long way to go for just a fishing trip on your own. Police are immediately suspicious of Peterson. One of the detectives was quoted as saying, I suspected Scott when I first met him. Didn't mean he did it, but I was a little thrown off by his calm, cool demeanour and his lack of questioning. He wasn't like, will you call me back? Can I have one of your cards? What are you guys doing? Scott Peterson declines to take a polygraph test and just generally seems not unwilling to help police, but just also not jumping through hoops to find his missing pregnant wife. Right. He seems largely unconcerned of her disappearance, instead more upset by one of the police cars that pull up in their driveway and when the police opens the car door, it accidentally hits his car, which is also parked in the driveway. He seems much more concerned with that and the fact that the police keep taking photos of his boat. He also asked to be reimbursed for the items that were taken from the home of Lacey's to assist the sniffer dogs. He's like, you're going to have to pay for that. Yeah, cool. That doesn't sound sus at all. Yeah. So a huge search is undertaken for Lacey with helicopters, mounted police, canine units and water police involved as well as loved ones and volunteers who kind of paint the town with flyers. They also initially do a dive of the fishing area where Peterson was said he was and they find nothing. A reward is offered by the family, which is increasingly raised by them as they sort of get no results until the reward sits at half a million dollars for information surrounding Lacey's disappearance. The media campaign around Peterson is wild. News reporters camp outside the home and basically swarm him whenever he's sighted. They will not leave him alone. They're obsessed with him. Like the media coverage at this time is purely about the disappearance of Lacey Peterson and the invasion in Iraq for looking for Osama bin Laden. And that's kind of what dominates the American news landscape for months. Right. The attention largely centres around Peterson's demeanour, which just kind of seems like he does not give a shit. At a vigil for Lacey's disappearance, Peterson declines to speak and is photographed by multiple news outlets smiling and laughing with people in attendance at the vigil for his Wife, wife, pregnant wife, who most people presume at this stage is dead. Right. However, the family are initially supportive of Peterson and get behind him whenever he proclaims his innocence and kind of defend him in the press, say that you, know, you can't judge someone by their reaction to grief, you don't know what it's like, blah, 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 blah. He's just, like, he's a nice guy. We He's been in the family for years. He loves Lacey, we love him, etc., etc. However, on December 30th or around December 30th, Amber Frey sees articles in the local paper about Lacey and Scott and comes forward to police, horrified finding out that not only was Peterson not single, as he told her, but that as the press coverage kind of is wanting you to believe, is very likely involved in his wife's disappearance slash potential murder. She tells police that Peterson had called himself a widower, stating that, this Christmas would be the first without his wife, which if you catch the date she went missing, not technically a lie. Wow. Which is revolting. Yeah. So Frey begins to work with the police and over 29 hours of their phone conversations are recorded. In one, Peterson tells her that he will be ringing in the new year with friends in Paris when in actuality he is attending the vigil for his missing wife. Okay. <laughs> On January 24th, and this is the part where it really kind of 
are imitating life. On January 24th, Amber Frey fronts a press conference where she reveals her identity identity as Peterson's mistress, stressing that she never knew of Lacey's existence and that she's disgusted by him, etc., etc. Which, if you've seen the movie, read the book, you know that happens. Yeah. So it's around this stage where the tide really kind of turns against Scott Peterson. It's discovered that he'd taken out a $250,000 life insurance policy against his wife, and this is when Lacey's family understandably yeah. turn against him. And it's essentially as far as, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but as far as the public is concerned, oh, Scott yeah. Peterson did it, and it's just a waiting game to see if they can find the body. The life insurance thing is just – that's – yeah. That's it. Peterson also attempts to kind of resuscitate the public's perception of him via an on-air interview with Diane Sawyer, but this does the exact opposite as Peterson is caught out in multiple lies and repeated, repeatedly accidentally refers to Lacey in the past tense, saying things like, she was an amazing woman. Uh, she was this, she was that. And people are like, why do you keep, why do you keep saying was? We don't have a body yet, buddy. Yeah. On April 13th, 2003, a couple is out walking their dog in the sort of marshy area near Berkeley, which is where Scott Peterson was allegedly fishing. They find the decomposing body of a late-term baby in the marshes. The umbilical cord is still attached, although it appears to have been chewed through, not cut. I'm not going into any more details. It's not as bad as it sounds, but I'm also not going into any more details. You can Google it if you really want. There are more details on the condition of this baby, but I just, I'm not doing it. Yeah. A day later, around a mile from where the baby's body is found, the body of a pregnant woman is found washed up on the shore nearby. The body is so badly decomposed, it's almost unrecognizable as human. Uh, However, DNA does confirm that it is Lacey Peterson and the body of her unborn son. The woman at this stage has is decapitated, dismembered, and is missing limbs as well as most of her legs. An autopsy is done and the pathologist deems that he's unable to determine the body's so badly decomposed he's not able to determine any sort of cause of death for Lacey, only being able to tell that she has two cracked ribs. The baby was expelled from the body as Lacey's body began to decay and the only reason that the baby's body is in much better condition is the the lining of the uterus kind of preserved it for a much longer time but it is determined that connor the the unborn baby wasn't murdered he tragically died as a result of lacy dying and obviously not being able to support the baby anymore yeah once the bodies are discovered scott peterson is very quickly arrested amber is um As I mentioned, she's been recording her conversations with the police. So basically once the bodies are found, it's it's a done deal for Scott Peterson. When police arrest Peterson, he's in San Diego where he'd been alternating between staying with friends and sleeping in his car to avoid the uh, excruciating intense rather media attention. They found that his dark brown hair has been dyed blonde and he's grown his beard out. His car is packed with items for a getaway, including around $15,000 worth of cash, multiple driver's licenses, four cell phones, and Viagra tablets, because (laughs) priorities. (laughs) Due to his changed appearance and the fact that he's positioned himself quite close to the Mexican border, police suspect that he was was getting ready to run. Yeah. Due to the intense, I mean, the... The press everywhere was intense, but particularly in the county where Lacey and Scott lived, the trial is kind of moved to a different area. And the trial begins on June 1st, 2004. Peterson is convicted of first-degree murder of Lacey and second-degree murder of their unborn son, Connor. I will give you $1 million. I don't even have a million dollars. That's how confident I am. You won't be able to guess this. I will give you $1 million if you can guess the defense strategy that Peterson's lawyers try and use. Ooh, the defense. Um, I think they would have said something along the lines of his pregnant wife was attacking him and it was self-defense. Incorrect. Not even close. They try and say a satanic cult committed the murder. Well. Yeah. Okay, this is not a very good defense team. No. 
that is terrible. Yeah, so they try and say it's a it's a satanic cult because she was pregnant and yeah, right. it's, Scott I, Scott sorry, Peterson has from day one till today maintained he's innocent and claims that he has absolutely nothing to do with the murder. The thing about this case that I personally find kind of creepy is the fact that Scott Peterson actually looks like a discount Ben Affleck. Really? Which I think is really creepy and I kind of don't like the fact that they cast someone that looks quite similar to... Well, maybe that's why they cast him for the role. I know, but it just seems icky. I don't know. <laughs> like, Well, because Scott Peterson is a real person who murdered his wife yeah, and unborn but, I mean, child. They and Gone this... Girl is an, is a loosely based adaptation. They about did the a... same thing with Mindhunter. They got... Character, they got actors that looked like real life murderers. Yeah, but they were about the actual people. Yeah, but I guess this is sort of loosely based off of. Yeah, it that. just creeped me. It could out. also just be a coincidence. No, like it's not a coincidence when okay. you when you look at photos of Scott Peterson. It's definitely like discount Ben Affleck. There's no right, no doubt in my mind, and I just think it's icky. I don't like it. Well, there you go. Uh, no, I, I don't see it. You don't see it? No. Nah, really? No, nah, I don't see Ben Affleck. I do. Nah. I think in one photo he vaguely looks like him, I guess, but I don't see that. All the, I think all the photos of him at his trial when he's in the suit and he's clean shaven look exactly like Ben Affleck. Nah. Okay. I don't really see that. Well, creepy. Very, very creepy. But yeah, he was originally sentenced to to death and then that was overturned, but he is still trying to appeal his, of course he is. his conviction yeah. and get out of jail. Yeah. Wow. Gotta say, that um that is an awful lot like Gone Girl. <laughs> yep, told yeah. ya. Wow, interesting. I feel very um, weird whenever there's cases about unborn children. I don't know what it is. It's just very sad and kind of especially despicable when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, I just think, yeah, it's very, it's very sad. Like, I think any case where it's like children oh, i don't know it's yeah. just i think anything to do with children is just kind of like it's a bit much mm. it, it's hard to sort of get into the the head of someone who would do that yeah so um sorry i just got some further information so yeah uh scott peterson's legal team laid out the strategy relying on the theory that his wife lacey peterson was kidnapped in Modesto and slain by Satan worshippers. Right. Um, yeah, I call bullshit yeah. on that. Peterson's defense team acquired a coat allegedly worn by a Modesto resident affiliated with an occult group, and the man had allegedly bragged about being involved with Lacey Peterson's death. Right, okay. That's um, that's as concrete as you could make it. Mm-hmm. Um, a coat. Yeah. That was kind of, which is, you know, which is very interesting because essentially the case against Scott Peterson was also built purely off, uh, what's the word, uh, consequential evidence? Circumstantial. Circumstantial evidence. Yeah. There was no, from what I could tell from my readings, although it is a, a more recent case, so you do find sometimes like the court, you don't get a lot of information about the court proceedings right. because it's still sealed. But from what I could see, there was no actual kind of DNA evidence that linked, which is similar to the, the Chris Watts things, but Chris Watts confessed. Yeah. So this is interesting because his, the murder of Lacey and the... Uh, the sentencing of Scott 
is incredibly similar in the completely circumstantial evidence, but Scott didn't confess. Not that I'm saying I don't think he did it. I 100% think he did it. But it is interesting that there was really no concrete evidence tying him to the murder. Yeah, it was just that... It was just obvious yeah, he did it. It, it, it. You could you could sway a jury into thinking or believing based on what you do have. Or he was the last person to see her. Yeah. Like It is interesting that you mentioned Chris Wells because it does have that element to it where it's... You, there isn't anything that's like nece- necessarily concrete, but you look at all the factors and you and just what we know of murders and es- especially um, kinslaying, uh, murdering those of your own family. Um, you know, uh, you can see these sort of like correlating details in that. Chris Watts having those weird moments of being sort of helpful with detectives but also fidgeting heaps and um kind of just being having odd behavior that even his neighbors were like he's not acting right Mm. instantly seeing him he's not acting right the case today him being on um at the vigil laughing and smiling and trying to be on tv to assert his innocence and it's coming across the completely opposite direction you do see those um, factors in those cases. But I do think it was really it's really quite interesting that Gillian Flynn took this story and kind of tipped it on its head to become almost like a female revenge, good for her kind of genre. Well, I think that's sort of where most of these stories come from. They come from some sense of reality or something that inspires them and makes them think about Mm. something like that because it is like you know what if this happened yeah what if it was this instead um (coughs) sorry i just did the biggest wow off off mic though yeah i just nearly choked and died well if that is the end of your case this is that's it from me this is the end of the main segment of the show we are now moving on to our ending segment where we sort of fluff on a bit. So if you're mostly just interested in the cases, then this has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Thank you for joining us. And we are now going to continue the... After show. After show. So welcome to the after show. Uh, Both very interesting cases today and ones that have a prevalence in mainstream media somewhat. Yeah, well, I didn't even, like, Gone Girl, I really liked the book. And, I mean, I just I just love David Fincher. So Gone yeah. Girl is one of my, probably one of my favorite films. Yeah. And I am just was kind of bewildered when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my case tonight. And then I, I was like, how have I never, like, I love Gone Girl and I love true crime. How have I never stumbled across yeah. the link yeah. that it's based off a real story? So wild yeah there are there are many um cases like that where you're like oh this is based off something that actually happened like Mm. what what the fuck um like the amityville horror sort of like but it just can i just say that aside from a much wider larger more horrific issue of violence against women being predominantly committed by partners what is it with these fucking dudes that think somehow they're going to be the smart one that gets away with it? Like, dude, come on. Well, it was, it's, it's, it's actually interesting because we recently sort of saw a video on a, I believe it was a detective or someone who works with studying um, psychopaths. Oh, he was a criminologist. And, yeah, yeah, criminologist um, who studies serial killers and, and murderers. And... They have uh, specifically psychopaths with these mindsets. They have a mindset that they can't really relate to the people around them, or and that can kind of lead them to believing that they're the most intelligent person in the room. Mm. You know, they think that. Well, you could clearly see his thought process of leaving the voicemail, yeah. being like, "It's two fifteen. which like- is interesting because um, I believe Jody Arias did the same thing. Um, mm. when she uh, 
when she committed a murder, she left a voicemail tying herself several states away. Yeah. And no one was really there to disprove it until they found, you know, evidence of her being in the apartment that she murdered. Mm. Um, they do believe, whether it's like a fight or flight sort of thing, whether like thinking on the toes of like, this is what I got to do next. It depends on, it varies from person to person, you know, depending on whether this was a, a malicious thing that was in the moment or it was a predetermined thing. Well, that was one thing that I thought was interesting because I wasn't able to tell from my research when the conversation that Scott had with Amber Frey about it being his first Christmas without his wife, I wasn't able to figure out where in the timeline right. that happened. Right. So I guess that would potentially point to when he had sort of decided that. Yeah. It was either. It just pisses me. Like, just do just fucking leave. Like if you're that unhappy, you don't want a kid, just fucking leave. Like it's it's interesting because you see a lot of like cases like that, like Chris Watts, um, Casey Anthony. There's a lot of cases like that where they meet. It's like they meet someone new or they realize that they're not happy in the relationship they have. They have, kids or they have a partner and their thought process is rather than divorcing my wife and leaving my children i'm going to completely just just remove them from this earth get away with their murders and continue my new life yeah it's wild what is the thought process i don't know but if you ever get sick of me please just leave please don't murder me i mean if i was gonna murder you it'd be out of like a it would be like a click You'd be like pissing me off, and I'd be like, "All right, I I'm done." Probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you well, turn up dead in two years, this is going to be incriminating evidence. No, who did it? Yeah. No, if, look, if anyone would kill anyone, it would definitely be me killing you. Let's be real. Oh yeah, for sure. Which, if I turn up dead, then it's me. It's one hundred percent you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was a weird tangent that we went on. Well, no, I thought, you- I thought you had something to say because you went um. Uh, I was like twiddling my hair coyly and then remembered that people listening to this on an audio can't tell that that was Um, what I was doing. But yeah, it is is interesting, those instances where it's like, what was your thought process there? And why did you think that you... You would be the one that would get away with it. But I guess that also pertails into that mindset of of a person who, who is able to do commit a murder like that mm. is they don't think the way that we think yeah true there's no like l- logic no it's completely separate they can't get into they they both can't get into the the shoes of the person that they're inflicting this on but they also can't figure out the social repercussions and why it's such an extreme thing to do mm. to them it's just like rather than folding my laundry i'm going to throw my throw them out of the bin you know. It's actually a pretty good analogy. It's like, what's the difference there? Why, why, like, a person like you and I would be like, why the fuck would I do that? Mm. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Tell people about your news on other on a different different level. On a different level. On a different note was what I meant. Um, we, my band Juno, has released our second single. Um, of this year. Yes, and it's a four banger. Singles, four singles in total we have out now. So you should definitely go and listen yep. to it. So check out Juno, uh, 2 a.m. on Spotify and all things streamable. You'll definitely see it pop up. It's a fantastic album artwork that I made myself. Um, we have reached nearly 5,000 monthly listeners which on Spotify. Which is so cool. Which is fantastic to see. Because we, we went from... You know, we released our debut single last year in March. No, not March. Uh, April, I believe. And we received a lot of uh, positive critiques and um, a lot of great publicity from it. And we kind of didn't really know what to do with it. And then we just spent this time working on more music and trying to figure out our next steps. And I feel like we've really grabbed this year by the balls and have had, and have like really just fucking going for it. Yeah. You know, just going to keep it up, but I will link the 
new song yeah. in the show notes if you want to have a little listen. Fantastic. Yeah, share it with get, your friends. Get those keep these, um, streams going. Keep these songs streaming. Yeah, I'd love it if you guys would check it out and let me know what you think of the songs because it is something I'm very passionate about. And hopefully we do so well that we can quit our fucking day jobs. Here's hoping. You know? Man, while you're at it, go listen to my other podcast because yeah. I just... <laughs> Give us money. Yeah. <laughs> Pay our wages. Please give me money. We'll just set up a fucking PayPal and you can you can just pay us all. E- you can all equally pay us $40,000 Australian a year. Yeah, because I'm sure our lovely listeners have 40 grand to spend. No, no, just... but they can, they can all together equate to $40,000 a year. I still think that's a lot of money per person. Yeah, it depends on how many listeners, listeners we have that would do it. Look, if, anyway. if fucking 500 of you did it, we'd be, we'd be fine. All right, it's not that hard. Anyway, He's I'm kidding, totally joking. Don't give us money. <laughs> <laughs> you have to remember that sometimes sarcasm, especially out. I feel like we both have such dry humor. Yeah, like people, especially people. This is why I don't. This is why I need to get out of corporate because people in corporate don't get when I'm joking half the time, and I have to be like, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding." Like I was, yeah, I was a joke. Uh I don't know. I'm just quirky like that. I'm just weird like that. Be a check out. What is this show called again? Little Show of Horrors. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I had a mind blank. You sure you yeah. did? Have you even listened to it? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What was our last episode that we put out? I don't know. I haven't listened to the last episode. Oh, okay. What was the one before that? You saved yourself. There you go. You saved yourself. Uh, yeah, but if you do like horror movies... You should check out the podcast I'm doing with my friend Sophie. It's called Little Show of Horrors. I'll also link that in the show notes. I think our seventh episode, eighth episode's coming out. Same day. We release the same day this show does. So if you're listening to this, there's also a new episode of Little Show of Horrors out. Yeah. So so subscribe to it and you'll get both episodes on the same day. Yeah. So why not? You know, if you like Laura's voice, then check it out. If you love my lovely vocal fry. It's and also a can... bit more of a, uh, it's a bit less of a case study show. Well, yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting. We, actually, Sophie and I were talking about this the other day because our kind of thing that we have going is like Sophie is a film student who obviously can understand and critique and break down a film on a level that I yeah. can't. And I just like watching horror movies and talking shit about them. So it's really interesting. Sophie comes in with like the interesting tidbits and facts and has a very, I guess, critical eye when it comes to the film. And I'm just like, nah, I fucking hated it. It was shit. <laughs> and that's what I bring. Well, I think that's good because you get two different perspectives on the same film. Mm. You know, whether you both liked it or hate it. So you both did like it. You get it I from different our, stances. Honestly, I think our our opinions have been fairly similar for yeah. most. We haven't really watched one where we had really opposite opinions yet. But, you know, it's early days. We've got yeah. a long way to go. So When do you get into the more obscure movies like The Fountain? Um, the Fountain? Yeah, it's a very... I don't know if it's technically horror. It's psychologically daunting. Oh, um, okay. There's also, an, an, I can't remember what the movie was called. I think it was called The Hole or something. Um, and it's a, it's a, either a Spanish or a Portuguese film. And it's, it's very, I won't go into it much because I, I think you guys would, would very much benefit from having it on the show or would, would enjoy it, what critiquing it. Okay. Well, don't give it um, away. Cause it, it is very like, It'll make you think of everything you could possibly know about the economy and capitalism. And Ooh, it'll okay. make you think about all these different things in a, different, right. in a, in a, in a separate light. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, on a separate note, I have been obsessed with the A Song of Ice and Fire books. Yeah, you blitz through those. Burnt. So in, I, I don't know if this is the same for America. I know in certain countries, 
the third book, A Storm of Swords, is one whole book. But for certain countries, it's in two parts. So I've just burnt through the second part of the third book and I am now looking for the fourth book. You're running out. You're running out of books. Um, And I'm slowly catching up to the point where everyone else is at, where they're waiting for the fucking next book to come out. And it's just a never-ending torment of... Yeah, All right, man. Look, Come on. He's he's gonna die before he writes that book. I'm gonna I'm it's, gonna tell you. I think that he's now. written it. I think he's or finished or at least written some of it, most of it. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's got two he's got two final books in the series. On another, again, I keep having really unrelated notes popping into my head. Great. That people may be excited to know. It is officially as of last Friday, less than a year until. The BSC crew ties the knot. Getting married. Yeah. Crew being just us because we run yeah, this whole show ourselves. That's it. So. We're the crew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but we get married in less than a year, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Fun. You're all spiritually invited. I mean, we could, I mean, depending on where we are in a year's time, we could legitimately. Live stream, live stream it. it. <laughs> if that's, I don't know if people would want to see that. I don't that. think anyone would care. Nah. <laughs> I also think I'd feel very weird having it's super weird. Yeah, hundreds of people I don't know watch me get married. Yeah, I think it, I'm going to cry. They're very so like much. private, personal things. Yeah, you know what I mean. But yeah, a year, uh, uh, less than a year now. Yeah, I'm sure you'll up. see photos. Oh yeah, you will I'm sure see we'll photos. Share photos, photos we'll share if anyone photos cares, you're probably listening to this like we don't give a shit. Yeah. For like the the two people that stick around this far, yeah. But yeah, what else? What else has been happening? Literally nothing because no. we can't go anywhere. There's nothing really at all happening. Just we've been oh, we've been officially told that as of September third, well, not for us because we won't be fully vaccinated by then. But once we are fully vaccinated, we can go on a picnic with three of our friends. Which doesn't sound like much, but for people who haven't been able to see their friends properly in like yeah. almost three it's months, huge. it will be. It's very exciting. It's huge. So 25th of September is my final dose. That's when we can go on a picnic. I'm already planning my outfits. It will be the first time in three months I would have worn something that's not leggings or tracksuit pants, which is very exciting. mm so, things to look forward to. Yeah. Which is nice because we have just been stuck in this kind of loop of not having any clue when it was going to be over. So, it's nice to have like, I mean, it's not an end date because it's still not back to normal. But it's nice to have like a start date for the end date. Yeah. If that makes it's sense. It's some sort of like positive notion Something. to look forward to. Um. Especially after being in lockdown this long, it's been pretty devastating. Intense. It's been very intense. I'm very excited to see my friends. Yeah. Um, I think maybe we'll just we wrap this wrap bad it boy up. up. Yeah, there's nothing more to go on to. You know I love the sound of my own voice, so I yeah, can I keep know. talking. Yeah. We have been the best served cold podcast. You have been our wonderful audience. We Thank hope you. you have enjoyed the cases today, the stories that we have gone into. Um, let me know if you have ever seen Robert the Doll in person. If you are in the Florida area or you have visited Florida, uh, let me know if you've ever seen the doll in person because uh, I would be very much interested in mm. hearing stories about it. And you can follow us on social media. At the BSC podcast. I will admit I have been a little bit slow in responding to messages recently. So I do apologize about that. Yep. Um, but I will eventually get back to you. Sometimes it just like a 10 business day turnaround with me at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, shoot us a message. Send us photos of your cats. Uh, drop us a review if you haven't already. We'd very much appreciate that. I can't stop burping. <laughs> I had a seltzer and I can't stop. Drop us a review if you can. It very much helps us and it also is Makes great for our mental good. health. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> Makes me feel good yeah. on the inside. Um, yeah. That's... And yes, let us, let us know if you have any cases you want us to cover, any stories that you think are interesting. Um, even if it's something small, we're going to probably build it up into a special episode for yeah. fans. 
um, which we'll probably do at some point, depending on how many cases we go to, how many people are interested in it. And that's the show. Uh, thank you for sticking around for this long. Uh, code word is... Do you want to name it? I think I, got, I think I did the last one, so you can do this one. Um, Robert. 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 That's that's the only yeah word that came Robert. into my brain. Yeah. Send us a little little Robert message. Send us cats and dog photos, and if you send us Robert, you might just get a cat photo in return. I have plenty of them. I have a plethora. Maybe. But yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you. Uh, next fortnight, because for a little while yeah. we're going to be doing these fortnightly just because Tamara and I are a bit burnt out, if you yeah. didn't see that on social media. But we will catch you in another fortnight. Bye. Bye.